0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dig Deep. Well, in our last episode, I told you the story of me in HomeGoods seeing a cute little piece of wall art for our playroom and trying so hard to decide whether or not I was going to get this thing. I hadn't budgeted for it. And a lady nearby knew that I was trying to decide and leaned in and said, that is adorable. It's perfect. You have to get it. Well, I told you that story, but I didn't tell you the end of the story, which is I did buy it. And when I recorded the last episode, that thing was sitting in our basement in the playroom and I was trying to find the best spot that worked for it. And I moved it around a couple different places and ultimately realized, you know what? I need to practice what I preach. I didn't really truly budget for this. And yes, it's cute, but we don't need it. And so I'm going to take it back to the store. And so I took it back to HomeGoods, went right into the register, returned it got my money back, and was walking out of the store feeling so proud of myself a little bit, like, look, I I did it. I returned this thing that I don't really need. And then something caught my eye, and I honestly don't remember what it was. But five minutes later, I found myself wandering the aisles of HomeGoods again. And I actually had to whisper out loud to myself, walk away, just walk away. Today we are talking about stuff. We're continuing our series Enough and asking when is enough stuff enough? And for real, this past week in preparing for this episode, I was flipping through a stack of mail, and the beautiful, ever-so-delicious Pottery Barn catalog was staring up at me. And I actually laughed out loud when I saw the subtitle, The Early Holiday 2017 Edition. And there was a beautiful Christmas scene on the front, and I thought, uh, heck yeah, early. It's not even Halloween, people. Early holiday. And then my eyes fell on the beautiful script in the bottom right-hand corner that read, the more the merrier. Now, yes, that's a popular saying referring to inviting people to a party, but I'm guessing the people at Pottery Barn weren't bothered by the double meaning that having more might make you merrier. So open our catalog and look inside, the more the merrier. And so I looked through the first couple pages before setting aside and thinking to myself, well, isn't that just funny that that would come this week as I'm talking about stuff? And then returning to the stack of mail, I actually said out loud, you've got to be kidding me. Because the very next item in the stack of mail was the Samaritan's Purse Christmas Catalog. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Samaritan's Purse, but they're a global organization. And around the holidays, they release a Christmas catalog that allows families to purchase gifts for families across the world. And it's really practical stuff like buying chickens for a family or buying them a goat. And so I couldn't help myself. I I held the two catalogs next to each other and flipped through them just to take it all in. And I thought, well, geez, I could buy this throw pillow with three ugly snowmen on it that reads, oh, what fun. Or I could give chickens to two families this Christmas. The Samaritan's Purse catalog actually read, for a gift of just $14, we can provide a family with a dozen baby chicks. They will grow up to lay hundreds of eggs every month, blessing a family with a rich source of protein, a steady source of income, and daily reminders of God's faithfulness. And holding that up next to the $30 throw pillow with snowmen on it was just Too good to not take in the whole scene. And if this feels a little heavy handed to you, good, because that's how I felt. That's why I actually said out loud, you've got to be kidding me. These arrive in my mailbox on the same day. Now, am I saying that Pottery Barn is evil? Yes. No, no, I'm not. My husband actually splurged recently when we had our latest little one and bought me a Pottery Barn plush robe. And when our youngest was born, it was just the best gift ever. It's seriously the softest thing in the universe. And when I was caring for our daughter in the middle of the night in January, that thing tangibly wrapped me in my husband's love. Stuff is amoral. Just like we said money is amoral. But in the same way that it's our relationship with money that can cause problems, we need to take a hard look at our relationship with our stuff. Because we all gravitate toward different things. You know, for some of us, it's clothes. For some people, it's the latest Apple upgrade or gadget. Maybe it's your car, your house, your decor for your house, or supplies for your hobbies. You know, my husband, a few years ago told me about an interaction he had with a friend who was really into paintball. And when this friend told him how much he had spent on his latest paintball gun, my husband said, oh my goodness, I can't imagine spending that much on a hobby. To which his friend immediately shot back, "Uh, how much did your guitar cost? And my husband quickly conceded and said, fair point, fair point. See, we might not understand how someone could spend so much money on clothes or on a TV or on sports equipment or shoes, but we've all got our own thing that has a gravitational pull on us. What's that store that you get sucked into and before you know it, you're wandering the aisles when you just meant to return something quickly. And so it's important for us all to start by admitting that. What pulls on you to buy more of it? What retail store is the store that you jokingly say gets you into trouble? Because we live in a world that tells us that more is always better. The more, the merrier. But it's never enough. And what's even more frightening is that it's often not just that it's not enough. It's that more actually becomes too much. And as the popular saying goes, our stuff starts owning us. Jesus addresses this exact issue head on when a man approaches him from out of the crowd in Luke 12. Starting in verse 13, the man says, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.' Jesus replied, "'Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you?' Then he said to them, "'Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions.'" And then he told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. And so, for us, the idea of tearing down barns and building bigger barns might not hit home. But have you ever had the thought, man, when we move to a new house, we really need to upgrade to a house that has more closet space or more space generally? Or the next time we move, we need a place with a two car garage because this one car garage just isn't cutting it and we don't even park our car in there. And it's almost as though Jesus is simply describing our American culture in this parable. The average size of the American home has nearly tripled in the last 50 years. And still, even with that much growth in our living space, one out of every 10 American families rents an off-site storage unit. That industry is the fastest growing segment of the commercial real estate industry over the past four decades. And this one hit me as a parent. British research found that the average 10-year-old owns 238 toys but plays with just 12 every day. We keep acquiring more and more stuff, and so we need more and more room for all of our stuff. And yet it's not satisfying us. If anything, research shows that Americans are less satisfied with their lives and with their stuff than they were 50 years ago. Let me tell you how this hit me recently. See, if you ask anyone who knows me, I like to consider myself somewhat of a minimalist. Some people love a beautiful sunset. I love the dazzling sight of a completely cleared off countertop or a decluttered organized closet. Mm, It's just delicious. I love to organize, but like most of us, I often feel like I organize any given room or closet again and again and again. And every time it feels like stuff is just oozing out of every corner. And I think to myself, where does all this stuff come from? Recently, I was hit by the words of author Joshua Becker, author of the book, The More of Less, when he says, if organizing your stuff worked, wouldn't you be done by now? And he goes on to say, organizing at its heart is simply rearranging. It never addresses the underlying issue that we buy too much stuff. Becker is one of many authors and bloggers who are promoting what they call the minimalist lifestyle. And this isn't a new idea, but it definitely is growing in popularity and and becoming a trend. Joshua Becker also happens to be a Christian, and he defines minimalism this way. Minimalism is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of anything that distracts us from it. And I believe his words align with what Jesus is already teaching us here. Jesus says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus is saying, if you are looking for life, you're not going to find it in stuff. In fact, stuff will start to steal life from you. So be intentional, watch out, be on your guard. I know it doesn't surprise any of you for me to tell you that you are bombarded with around 5,000 ads per day, all telling you, buy, 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 more, more, more. I recently was introduced to the idea of fast fashion. Have you heard of this? This is a new trend in the fashion industry. The fashion industry used to operate on the four-season model. So they had a spring line, summer line, fall line, you get it. Fast fashion has moved us to a place where most clothing retailers have built in additional seasons every four to six weeks. So you get early summer, mid-summer, late summer, super late summer, and then of course they're already putting the fall stuff out in the middle of the summer, so I don't even understand how it all works. But many retailers don't even stop there. They are rolling out new items in their stores every week and sometimes multiple times a week. Why? To get us to come back. There's always something new. We don't want to miss out. And in reading about fast fashion, I came across the term built-in obsolescence. The vast majority of retailers in the fashion industry are intentionally designing their clothing in a way to ensure that it will be obsolete by that time next year. They are designing it with built-in obsolescence. Because it will bring you back to buy the latest trend. Gross. Gross. When I read about that, it grossed me out. And it grosses me out, but is it going to actually change anything about the way that I shop for clothes? It reminds me of when my husband and I watched the documentary Super Size Me, and we gagged at the reality of how bad McDonald's really is for you. And then when it was over, we looked at each other and said, are you massively craving a Big Mac right now? Because these industries have us figured out. They hold something out for us and offer it to us saying, here you go, this is what you've been looking for. This newest, latest, greatest thing, this is what will satisfy you. Buy this and you'll be set. But they're just trying to suck us into a cycle of more and more and more, and it's never enough. To give you a picture of what this cycle does to us, it doesn't ultimately get us spinning around stuff. It gets us spinning around around ourselves. Let's look again at verses 17 to 19 in Luke chapter 12. And as I read it this time, I want you to notice how many times the man in the parable uses the words, I and my. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Because the constant quest to buy and enjoy possessions of any kind will cause you to spiral inward on yourself. And the cycle is so powerful that you stop seeing the rest of the world around you and you start seeing the world through the lens of I and my and mine. And we get stuck on this never-ending quest to find it, to find relaxation, to enjoy life, to eat, drink, and be merry. And just one of the sad, natural byproducts of living in that spiraling whirlpool is a lack of contentment. And it actually leads to worry and anxiety. Because the more we try to get enough, the more we worry about never having enough. And I believe this is why Jesus rolls right out of that parable and into the teaching he gives us in verse 22. We know they're connected because he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds." Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. will be also. I don't know how I hadn't noticed it before, but do you see how the language reflects the parable of the rich fool? He stored up everything he had in barns, and when they were too small, he tore them down and built bigger ones to make sure he had enough saved up. And Jesus here points us to the ravens. He says they don't have barns, and yet God feeds them. The first guy says to himself, this is my goal in life, to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus says, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Jesus is pointing his listeners to the heart of the issue when it comes to stuff. And he wraps it up by saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so whatever it is that you're storing up for yourself, That's where your heart will be pulled. And it's a powerful, strong force that pulls you. And that's why Jesus uses the strong language of be on your guard, watch out. Jesus has an interaction with a rich young man where Jesus is walking along and a man comes forward and says, tell me, teacher, what I have to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus reminds him of the commandments. And he says, Jesus, I've kept all those since I was a kid. And he says, one thing you lack Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And we read that the man went away sad because he had great wealth and he wasn't willing to part with it. But I love a little phrase that we find in Mark's account of the story. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, before Jesus tells him to sell everything he owns and give to the poor, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I hear that same love coming through at the end of this passage. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He loves you. He sees us stuck in our own whirlpools. He knows what that thing is for you. He knows what it is for me. That thing that pulls us and tells us if we just add a little bit more, a little bit more, then we'd be satisfied. And it's never enough. And Jesus is inviting us into something better, something that never dies, something that doesn't decompose in a landfill someday, something that lasts into eternity Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you to leverage your money and your possessions for my kingdom. Do you remember the definition for minimalism that Joshua Becker gave earlier in the episode? Minimalism is the intentional promotion of things we most value and the removal of anything that distracts us from it. In Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What if minimalism for us as Christians looked like us removing the excess stuff in our lives so that we're not distracted from opportunities to love God and love others that are right in front of us? that we might be missing. Because the more stuff we acquire, the more we need to maintain our stuff. We need to find more places to store it, like the man who tore down his barns and went to all that effort to build bigger ones just to store all of his stuff. How often is that true of us? We have to find a way to organize it, find a place to store it. We have to maintain it and fix it and replace it and repair it and upgrade it. And what if in doing all of that, we are missing opportunities that God has placed in front of us to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, and to love other people that He's placed right in front of us? And so as we close today, I want to share a story that my friend Becca shared with me recently. Becca said it was a few years ago. She was shopping in BJ's, and she went to take a free sample and read the name tag of the girl who was handing out the samples. And her name was Michelle, and Becca introduced herself, and the two chatted for just a minute. Well, the next time Becca was in BJ's, Michelle was there again, handing out samples, and Becca was surprised that when she came up, she had remembered Becca's name and said, Hi, Becca. So the two of them talked a little bit more. It was a few weeks after that that Becca was driving, and she saw Michelle walking to a bus stop right down the street from where Becca lived. She came to find out later that Michelle lived in the apartments that were practically in Becca's neighborhood. And so over time, the two formed a friendship, and Becca got to know more about Michelle's story. She learned that Michelle's father had not been present in her life, that her mother had died when she was just 11, leaving Michelle and her sister to be raised by their grandmother. Just a few years later, Michelle's sister died at the age of 15. Michelle felt hopeless, and so she dropped out of school at the age of 16. By the age of 19... Michelle's grandmother was experiencing progressing dementia and Michelle began serving as her grandmother's primary caregiver, changing her diapers, washing sheets, and doing all the cooking and cleaning all while working full-time, hourly paying jobs just to pay the bills. It was around that time that Becca met her. And so as their friendship developed, Becca would take her out for meals from time to time. She'd pray for her and she had Michelle babysit her kids for some extra income. Becca shared that recently Michelle's grandmother um, was in need of more comprehensive care, and so she was moved to a state nursing facility, which left Michelle looking for a new place to live. She was able to find a room for rent in a townhouse nearby that she could afford, and one night after Becca had taken her out for dinner, she took her back to her house to drop her off, and she asked if she could come in and look around. Michelle said sure and invited her in, and Becca said when she entered the house, she was a little bit alarmed at what she saw. She said she walked into the house and was struck by the fact that there was almost no furniture at all, no couch, no lamps, just two folding chairs in front of a big screen TV that belonged to the other tenant. As they walked up to Michelle's bedroom and opened the door, Becca said she was immediately struck by the reality that everything that Michelle owned in the world was in that little room. There were three garbage bags of clothes on the floor, two boxes of photos and frames, her memories of her mother and sister and grandmother, and then an air mattress that was her bed. Becca didn't really know what to say, so she offered to help her put some of her clothes away in the closet, and then she realized she didn't even have any hangers to hang up her clothes. And what Becca said next really struck me, and it's why I asked her if I could share the story with you today. She said she was standing in that room and it suddenly hit her that she had just bought a beautiful artistic print to hang on her wall that declared in lovely script writing how much she loved God. And she said, there's someone in my life who doesn't even have hangers or a bed. She said when she first met Michelle, and became aware of her situation. She said she repeatedly asked God to send someone to help her. She said the answer that God kept sending back was, I am, it's you. The day that Becca shared this story with me, she was getting ready to head over to Michelle's house that evening to bring her some much needed items, including hangers. And the look in Becca's eyes was just awesome. She was excited and energized, and alive, and joyful, she was given an opportunity to live out the greatest commandment, and she was taking it. Listen, is stuff bad? No. Stuff is amoral. Is it bad to have a big print on your wall that declares how much you love God? No. But is it possible that in our quest for more stuff, we are missing The point that maybe we're not even living out the truth that's declared on these beautiful signs that we hang on our walls. When it comes to stuff, Jesus is warning us. He says, watch out, be on your guard. And then he reminds us again and again that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love other people. And those just happen to be the only two things that actually last into eternity. And so we don't do this every episode, but today I want to give you some actual homework to do because this is difficult. I mean, this is something that's going to require a lot of intentionality on our parts if we're going to make a lifestyle change. And so I want to encourage you to reread Luke 12, verses 13 to 34, and then after you read it, ask two questions. One, is there a channel in my life that needs to be put on mute for a while? What is it that pulls you into this whirlpool of more, more, more? Maybe you need a break from Pinterest because when you go on there, you suddenly leave dissatisfied with your wardrobe or your home decor or your style or whatever. Maybe it's a specific store that you need to say, I'm not going to set foot in that store for a month or for three months or until the holidays are over. Maybe it's a specific online retail site that you need to say, I'm not going to step foot there until after this date. And the second question I want you to ask is, how am I going to spend money this Christmas? I want you to make a plan. I want you to make a budget. Put it on paper and commit to it. Why? Because even though it's not Halloween yet, Pottery Barn and every other retail store is already trying to get you to think about Christmas. Why? Because it's their bread and butter. Forbes magazine estimates that Americans will spend over $1 trillion on Christmas gifts and decorations this year. Retailers are counting on it. And if you're not proactive, You will naturally gravitate toward what they tell you you need to truly celebrate this Christmas well. But it is Jesus' birthday after all, and he already told us what he wanted. He wants us to love him with all of our guts and love other people. How will you love other people this Christmas? Because Jesus said when it comes to stuff, we need to watch out. We need to be on our guard But he says it from a place of absolute love for you. Trust him. He wants the best for you. But not just that. He's inviting you into something better. Something that lasts into eternity. Because at the center of this whirlpool of stuff, of more, 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 it ends up placing us and our desires, our cravings at the center of our world. And that is the place that Jesus is intended to hold. And so as you ask yourself these two questions, consider how taking steps in this direction will help you center your heart and your life on Christ himself. Whew, okay, thanks for sticking with me. Thank you so much for being here today. I am excited for our next episode as we are going to wrap up this Enough series by asking the question, Am I enough. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you'll come back and join us then. And until then, remember to dig deep.